The new year's here. Man, it's good and glad that you're with us. So go ahead and grab a Bible and open it to Mark chapter 6. That's where we're going to be continuing our study in the gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. But we also have some hard copy Bibles on the seats uh, in front of you, below the seats there. And so let's get started here. I'm going to read the first couple verses of uh, our passage, Mark 6, starting in verse 30. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the chance to be together here as a church, as your people. Lord, we love you and we want to hear from you today. And so we pray that you would speak to us through your word and your spirit. Lord, would you help us to see the things that you want us to see from your word? Help us to hear the things that we need to hear. Lord, we give you this time and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I should uh, preface this story I'm about to share by saying that I don't condone this behavior. Okay? I'll start there. Uh, Back in college, Amber and I would go to many Sharks hockey games. Maybe I've shared that with you before. We're big sports fans, and so we would often go from Rohnert Park and Sonoma State University down to San Jose to see the Sharks play. And because we were college kids, we would buy cheap tickets, right? We'd find the cheapest ones we could online and we'd be like at the top row or near the top row in the nosebleeds. I mean, really probably the cheapest tickets in the house. And we'd go, you know, fairly often throughout the year. And sometimes when we would go, we'd be up on that last row way up at the top and we'd look down at the lower level where all the expensive seats were and we'd realize that some of those seats were empty, And it would be a shame to let the whole game go by and have those nice seats not be filled or enjoyed. And so we said, well, what's our moral obligation here? We should do something about this. (laughs) And so... Sometimes we would, we would go, we would, you know, probably at intermission after the first period, we would make our way down and kind of, we'd see where the seats were. And so we'd go uh, past kind of the person who was checking tickets and we'd just walk in like we owned the place. You know, we'd walk down there and we'd go to those seats and we'd sit down in those really nice seats and we'd watch the rest of the game from there. Now, Amber's maybe embarrassed that I'm sharing this story. It was mostly me leading the way on this, just to be fair, mostly, yeah. And uh, what we would do, we'd watch the game, and they were great seats, but it was a little bit stressful, because what would happen is every time someone would be coming back from the concession stands, walking down the aisle, I would think, oh no, maybe these are the people whose seats we're sitting in. It's going to be really awkward, and we're going to get confronted, and they're going to say, excuse me, or these are our seats. Can you please move? Or maybe the, the ticket attendant is going to notice that we kind of snuck by and come by and say, excuse me, can I see your seats or your tickets? And then we'd show them, and then he'd say, get out of here. And so it was stressful because we weren't supposed to be there. 
Right? We were supposed to be way up top. This was territory that we had not uh, enjoyed the privilege of being in. And we pretty much made it out unscathed. Just so you know, I don't think we ever quite got caught. Which, again, I preface the story by, I'm not saying you should go and do this. I'm not condoning this type of behavior. But we felt like we were somewhere we weren't supposed to be and it was stressful. And the reason I share that is because sometimes, stay with me here, when we approach God, some of us feel the same way. That we start to draw near to God and we have this thought in our minds, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be here. And I think if someone were to figure out who I really was, they'd kind of tap me on the shoulder and kindly ask me to leave. It's only a matter of time before I'm found out, before people realize that I'm a phony, before the ticket person comes down and says, excuse me, can I see your seats? And they realize that I'm not supposed to be here. And we live with this kind of stress of being sent away from God. And we see a situation here in Mark chapter 6 that we just started to read about a group of people that, quite frankly, were somewhere they were not supposed to be. We see these crowds following Jesus and they're pressing into this space that they, frankly, haven't been invited into. But they're there and we see how Jesus responds in the verses that follow. See, if you remember last week, excuse me. If you remember last week, we saw that Jesus sent out the disciples in groups of two to go and minister in the surrounding areas, right? They were calling people to repentance. They were healing people. They were casting out demons. They were doing incredible things. And now we see in verse 30 that they've returned. They've returned from this mini missionary journey. And now they're back and they're reporting to Jesus. Hey, here's what happened. Here's the things that went on. And we see that they're tired. They're exhausted. Verse 31 says, Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Jesus said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You need some time away after all of this ministry that you've been doing. And then in verse 33 it says, But many who saw them leaving recognized the disciples, and all these people ran on foot from all the towns and got there, there being the destination that Jesus and the disciples were heading, got there ahead of them. So the demands of ministry were so intense, so action-packed, nonstop with people, they didn't even have a chance to eat. And they're hungry, they're tired, and we know that that's a dangerous combination when those things are combined. And Jesus notices that and says, guys, we need to get some time away. And so he says, let's go, let's find a quiet place where you can have some R&R. This was a good plan, but it didn't work because these people, these crowds from all the nearby towns saw them as they went and went and ran ahead of them and reached the place before they did. And they showed up and these people were already there. Now, this would be, think about this with me, Um, Christmas is a great time, don't get me wrong, Um, sometimes it can be an exhausting time, okay? We spent uh, about four days in a row nonstop with family, different sides of the family, extended family, friends that were home from school, that sort of thing uh, over the course of a couple days. And by the end of it, 
we were, we were done. I mean, I'm an extrovert, and I was just ready to not be around people for a while because it was just nonstop, like several different Christmases that we were celebrating. And at the end of it, I was like, I just need a break. I need some rest. Love my family. It's a huge blessing to be by them, but I need a break. And maybe you can relate. I just, just need some downtime to myself to read a good book and take a nap or do whatever it is you do that recharges you. Now, imagine... You're with your family or you're just about to leave that last Christmas gathering of the year, whatever that might be, wherever that was. You get in the car and you drive home and you've done all your Christmas gatherings, all your time with people and you have nothing but time alone to look forward to and you're ready for some downtime. You pull up to your house, you get out of the car, you go in the house and all of those people that you've seen for the past few days are there in your house. And they say, what are we going to do? We're ready. Let's hang out some more. I mean, that's kind of what these disciples would be experiencing. Like we've been with people nonstop, and we need some time away. And so Jesus says, let's go and get some rest. And they get there, and all these other people are there. And so it makes us wonder, man, how, how is Jesus going to respond? How are these gonna, disciples going to respond when there are these crowds that are persistent and won't leave them alone? And frankly, again, are somewhere they're not supposed to be. And this was space for Jesus in the inner circle, the disciples, to get some rest. And here we see these crowds showing up. We read in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw this large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And he saw the crowds. Even though he and his disciples were weary, he doesn't send them away. He doesn't say, excuse me, can I see your tickets? I'm not sure you're supposed to be here. This is really our kind of vacation getaway. If you guys could move along, that would be great. No. He says he has compassion on them, and he welcomes them, and he teaches them, and spends time with them. He engages with them. He invites them in. This is so important for us to see because I think so many of us wonder, does, does God have time for me? Or if, if God really knew who I was and the things that I've done, I'm not sure that he would be so inviting or welcoming to me when I show up. When I attempt to draw near, we feel inadequate or unworthy or uh, the shame of our past or our present failures or the sin that we uh, engage in, the rejection we've experienced, we're just we're waiting to be found out. We're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, for people to realize that they're a phony and they don't belong here. But we see that Jesus looks at us. He looks at the crowds that are needy and longing for more of what he has and he has compassion on them. He shows great love towards them. He sits down with them and teaches them. We read that this is because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on these crowds because, in other words, no one was really looking out for them. They were not being protected or well cared for. The religious leaders of the day were not doing their job. And so these people were kind of left to fend for themselves. They were on their own, hungry, lost. 
And we see this imagery throughout the Bible that we are described as sheep. Again, if you know anything about sheep, we've talked about this before, they're very needy, dependent creatures. I mean, it's almost laughable how completely dependent sheep are on their shepherds for everything, for for well-being, for food, for health, for cleanliness, for uh, keeping away from diseases, and on and on. And this is the picture of our state, all of us, apart from Christ. For without a shepherd, without the leader, the, the one to care for our soul that we truly need, which sometimes for us can be a, a kind of challenging concept because we're, we're Westerners. We're uh, American individuals, right, who think that independence is strength, that we're supposed to be strong and self-sustaining. We don't need a shepherd. We're rugged individuals. Don't need anyone else to care for my soul. I'm good to go. Thank you very much. And yet we see Jesus tells a different story. He looks at these people and he says, no, apart from me, they're sheep without a shepherd. They need a good shepherd to care for them, to nurture them, to to love them, to provide for them. And so in these first couple verses of this passage, we really see the heart of God on display. And it's one of, of welcome. It's one of compassion for his people. It's a great reminder that God is not some absentee God that set up the universe and let it spin and then withdrew and is really too busy with other things and other concerns to have time for us. No, that's not the picture of God that Jesus shows us. He shows us the amazing truth that the God of all creation, who sustains all things by his word and his power, is the same God that draws near to us and listens to us and is aware of our needs and that he actually desires to shepherd us, to care for us, to provide for us what we need. What an amazing thing. The passage goes on. Verse 35, By this time it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him, This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late, so send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Okay, again, the crowds are there, and Jesus welcomes them, and he's he's teaching them, but it starts to get late, and so the disciples think a fairly reasonable thought. They say, we need to send the people away. I mean, where are we going to get the kind of food that they're going to need? It's almost dinner time. We're not close to a Denny's, and all these people are here, and they got to eat, and so let's... Send them away. Not to mention, the disciples are completely worn out and exhausted, and they haven't even been able to eat, the passage has told us. So they say, send them away, Jesus. It's been great that you've done your little compassion thing with them, but now they got to go. they got to go get some food somewhere. And so in the same way that uh, we can relate to the crowds in the beginning of the passage that are seeking Jesus and are sheep without a shepherd, We see pieces of ourselves in that. We also see pieces of ourselves in the disciples. These weary disciples that don't know if they have much more to give. Because we know what it's like to be tired, to be weary, exhausted. Sometimes I feel like when I check in with my friends, all that we really say to each other is that we're tired. 
<laughs> just back and forth. How are you? Oh, tired, busy. Oh, yeah, me too. A couple weeks later, same thing. I mean, seriously, you ever have that where it's like, wow, that's just all we ever say about our condition is that we're exhausted and busy. And I, I mean, there's not a Starbucks on every corner because we all just like the taste of it, right? I think there's a little more to it than that, that we're, we know what it's like to be exhausted. And so as we read this, I think we can understand a bit where the disciples are coming from, that they see this tremendous crowd in front of them and this great need that they need to be fed soon, and they say, send them away, Jesus. We, we cannot possibly give them what they need. We're exhausted, and we don't really have the resources, frankly. We see how Jesus responds in verse 37. It says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Excuse me? You give them something to eat. And and they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And so I'd imagine the disciples there are thinking, they're saying, okay, first this crowd has ruined our vacation. And now they're trying to ruin our bank account by spending all of this money. And, it, and on top of that, even if we had this kind of money, logistically, how is this possibly going to work for us to run and get this kind of food to feed this many people? Later on in the text, we see that it's 5,000 men, likely uh, countless more women and children as well. So this huge crowd, how are we possibly logistically going to go in time? Where would we even go to get this kind of food and bring it back here for all of them? Five loaves, two fish. Jesus, what are you, how do you want us to do this? What are you talking about? And he says, give them something to eat. And it's emphatic. You give them something to eat. Because they've just said, hey, let them go find food for themselves. And he says, no, you feed them. Not only are they exhausted, hungry disciples, but now they're told by their master, Jesus, to meet this overwhelming need with completely inadequate resources. He says, feed them. I want you to build this house for me, but you only have five two-by-fours and two rusty nails. Go for it. He says, I want you to fill my car up with gas, but here's $5. That's all you got. Or I want you to make a massive bonfire on the beach for me, but you have five twigs and two wet matches. Go. Like, there's, there's no way we can do that, Jesus. There's not possibly enough resources to make this happen. It goes on, verse 39. So then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. amazing. He has them all sit down in, in groupings. He takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and then he begins to distribute it among the people. And it says, verse 42, amazingly, 
They all ate and were satisfied. And so this wasn't a matter of taking those five loaves and those two fish and breaking it into such small pieces that everyone got a little morsel, kind of like a communion wafer sort of thing. No, it says there was enough that they all ate and were satisfied. Somehow, these few loaves and fish in the hands of Jesus multiplied to feed the crowd. And this should strike us as amazing, as even hard to believe, because this is not normal. I mean, something like this should leave us in, in awe at what Jesus has just done, and even a bit perplexed and amazed, because this is unlike anything that we've ever seen. How Jesus provides so abundantly, so miraculously for this crowd. I mean, the abundance is clear because we read in verse 43 that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. So there's so much left over. There's 12 full baskets, 12 big old to-go boxes for them to put in their fridge later on. I mean, this is just abundance overflowing for the people. The hands of Jesus. And so we're left to kind of reflect on what does this mean, this miracle that Jesus has just done in the midst of these people? What does this mean for us? I think there's a couple things we can take away, and one of them is that really this reminds us that Jesus can take what little inadequate resources we have and do something powerful with them. He uses us and calls us to take what little we have and participate with him. And he takes that little that we have and makes it more than we think it is. And he uses it for his purposes. And he calls us to be involved in ministry with him. And notice that this is not sit back and just let God do his thing. Nor is it, it's all on you to go and make something happen. It's this combination of God calling you to take what you have and go participate with him. And all the while, he is the one providing the abundance, providing the power, the strength, whatever it is that is needed to meet the need. Because right? the disciples are distributing the bread. They're involved in this miracle of Jesus. He says, you give them something to eat. And so the question for us today is where are we feeling like these disciples? Where are we feeling potentially overwhelmed by the needs that are in front of us? Overwhelmed by the demands on us, whether it be of our family or ministry or work, some other area where we feel like we don't have enough. Just don't have enough to do what I'm supposed to do, and yet God is looking to you and saying, you give them something to eat. Or you already say, I don't have enough. And he says, give them something to eat. And I think there's a couple big ways that this uh, takes place in our lives today. And one of them is, is money. Right? That's something that we often feel like we don't have enough of, where resources are limited. And sure, maybe we'd like to give more generously to 
care for those in need, to support different global projects that we're excited about, but it feels like we don't have enough. And yet God says, you give them something to eat. Is it possible that God could take the little money that we have, that if we were to set it aside for his purposes, he would do something bigger than we could possibly imagine with it? This also takes place with our time. Don't have enough time to do all the things that we want to do. I'd love to serve more. You know, some of us, I, would, I would love to participate more in, in this way in the life of the church or in this community outreach thing or whatever it might be, but don't have enough time. Don't have enough. Again, is it possible that God could be saying, you give them something to eat. Look at the needs that he's brought to your attention and could you step in and serve in a way, even if it's a small time commitment? And trust that God would use that to make an impact through you in our church or in our community to serve in any number of ways. Even when we feel like we don't have enough, God says, give them something to eat. And if we step out in faith, we might be amazed at the way he takes it and in his name uses it for his purposes. We might be surprised at how far it actually goes. Now, The key, of course, in this whole passage that we have to remember is that the abundance or the provision comes from Jesus himself. This is not a message of trust in yourself or your own resources to get the job done. No, it's look outside of yourself to Jesus who is the one who can provide. The point is that we cannot rely on our own resources and the fact that you don't have what you need to do what you need to do. Think about that. You don't have what you need to do what you need to do. In your own strength, you do not have the resources to accomplish the task that God has put in front of you, the ministry, the calling on your life, whatever it might be. And so the answer is not to look within to your own strength or your own creativity or your own resources, the answer that Jesus shows us and that he's showing his disciples is they have to look to him. And it's only through him that they're able to fulfill the call that he's placed on their lives. Again, this is is hard for us today because, again, we're so used to self-sufficiency and to really being told in the world today just to, to look within The answers to your problem lie within yourself, within your own strength. Dig deep. You can overcome this. Find more strength or more virtue or whatever it is that you need. It's it's within you. There's a popular book from the New York Times bestseller list that captures this mantra well. It says, uh, it's called, You Are a B.A. I won't fill in the B.A., but you are a B.A. You're a bad astronaut, okay? That's what you are. And the the subtitle to that book is How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. Okay, so think about that message. You're awesome. Stop doubting your greatness and just go live an awesome life. That's not the message of Jesus. And that's not the message of the gospel. Yes, we can affirm human dignity 
And the incredible way that God has made us in his image with creativity, with strength, with gifts to go and live and, and cultivate life on this planet. Absolutely. We have to realize that the ultimate answers to what we need lie not within ourselves, but within the Lord. And so when we're looking to overcome the addiction or the destructive patterns and habits of lust or greed or gossip or whatever it might be that's wreaking havoc in our lives or in our marriage or in our families, trying to be more selfless, we're trying to be more disciplined, we're trying to be obedient, Jesus says, don't look within. That's not where the answer is, because if that's where the answer was, then we wouldn't be in this situation that you're in. He says, look to me. Jesus says, look to me. I can provide what you need. And so this passage, as much as it is about us participating with God, taking what little we have and seeing him use it, in an even greater way, the passage is about Jesus. Because it always is. It always is meant to, to show us this picture of the Lord as provider, as shepherd, as the one who feeds us amazingly. You notice we don't even see how the disciples react in the passage or how the crowds react. I mean, in a lot of places in Mark already, we've seen that something will happen and it'll say that the crowds were amazed. We've never seen anything like this or the disciples were afraid and terrified at this amazing thing that they have just seen. But here we, we don't see that. And in fact, we're not even sure that the crowds realize what has just happened. The disciples are aware, but the, the focus is just on Jesus and his abundant provision. That's where the text leaves us, that he has provided. Everyone ate and was satisfied. There were all these leftovers, and it was about 5,000 men. Boom. End of passage. It's about Jesus. And think about this. As miraculous as this is, we've actually seen it before. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, and Numbers tells it as well, there's a story of how God provided bread from heaven for his people. See, he had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he was leading them towards a new land, a new home that they would inhabit, that he had promised to give to them. And on the way in the wilderness, there was nothing really to eat. And so he miraculously provided bread from heaven, and they called it manna. And the people went out and gathered it every day, and they ate it, and it sustained them. And it was a true miracle. And so here again, we see the people of God, this great mass of people, that are in the wilderness where there is no food and we see miraculously food provided for them, bread for them to eat. And so the people who knew their Old Testament who read this passage early on would say, he's doing what God does. Jesus is doing what God alone can do. And so what does that tell us about Jesus and who he is? Now, of course, this miracle doesn't mean that disciples of Jesus will never go hungry. 
doesn't mean that disciples of Jesus will never starve or will always have earthly comforts that they desire. We know that's not the case. But this miracle is designed to take this tangible thing of bread and he uses it to point to a deeper reality that Jesus provides for us and meets our greatest needs. Our need for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, and for new life in him. We see again these parallels in this passage. Yes, it points us back to Exodus and God providing the manna in the wilderness, but it also subtly points us forward to the Last Supper. See, the language is almost identical when Jesus takes the bread here in Mark chapter 6, and before he distributes it to feed the crowd, he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and then gives it. We see the same thing on the night he was betrayed before he went to the cross. There in that upper room with his disciples, he took the bread and he did what? He gave thanks, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. And there, he said what? This is my body given for you. He tells them to take it in remembrance of him. And so this is the gospel message that Jesus did not just come to provide an abundantly good meal for 5,000 or so people in the first century. No, Jesus came to abundantly provide new life and eternal life and salvation for his people and for the world. This Jesus, he provides for us abundantly, yes, but in a way that no one else can. Because, of course, in our sin, we deserve death and judgment and separation from this God. And yet, in his grace and in his love, he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and he went to the cross carrying our sin, carrying our shame, so that if we would believe in him, we'd be justified through faith be made right with this God, we'd be forgiven of sin, we'd be filled with his life in us and given the hope of eternal life with him in relationship with the one true God. And so this miracle in Mark chapter 6, this powerful example of the provision of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000 points us forward to the even greater reality of the gospel that Jesus has provided abundantly for us salvation and eternal life and he is the king and Savior of the world. And so no matter where you are today, you know, we're all coming in in different places, this passage leaves us with a few challenges. One, again, is to consider where is it that God is looking to us, saying, you, give them something to eat, where he's calling you to participate with him in ministry, even with the little time or money or resources that you have. How will you use it for his purposes? And also the reality that this Jesus is to be worshipped. That we are called to love this Jesus, to bow down before him, to recognize him as the one who gives life in a way that no one else can. And so as we hear today, we're not here starting 2018, again, reflecting on how great we are, or reflecting on a few helpful tips and tricks from the Bible to just enhance our life. No, we're being clearly pointed to the person and work of Jesus. 
We want this year to be a year that is marked by worshiping Him and making much of Him and remembering and celebrating the gospel together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of new life and salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for abundantly providing for us forgiveness of sins, new life in you, new hearts, your spirit in us, a relationship with you, adoption into your family, belonging, your love, your care, your presence in our lives. God, thank you. Just pray, Jesus, you help us to worship you, help us to walk with you, to follow you faithfully, to believe that you are our good shepherd. And Lord, we do humbly pray that you would take what we have and use it for your purposes and your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.